Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams How lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all night long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. Australia Community Radio 3CR, it's your favourite broadcaster, Dr Gonzo. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, yeah, thanks, yeah. Joe. You don't look like Dale. Where's no, Dale? I don't know. I think she's, she's out in the country. She's having a good no, time No, she's in Queensland. Somewhere. She's well, gone back up to Queensland yep. to throw a few things around. Good. She's got things she's got to get off her mind. That's the Empress. Yeah, has to old, be done. Yeah, it has to be done. I mean, I think, I think what actually happened to the Empress... We had a guest here last week called Bill Nagy, and I think she just had enough. After hearing his story, she had to have a have a break. But uh, we'll talk to Bill maybe later on. Okay. okay. So who, now, have we, who do we have this week? We Gotcha. have a very special woman. All women are special, but this one's even more special. I've, God, how am I get out of this? <laughs> Maurice Hinari. Yes, Good afternoon, Maurice. Good afternoon. That's a fascinating name, Hinari. Where does that come from? Um, it's a Maori name. Maori name. A very famous Maori name. Uh-huh. Why mm. is it famous? Because of the tribe when there was a war over there of the signing of the treaty. It was mm-hmm. the Hanaris that got all the cla- the uh, tribes together. Uh-huh. That said enough from the whites taking the land and ro- getting drink in there and things like that. Mm. So, yes. Mm. So, obviously, you're related. Yes, yes. By oh. marriage. By marriage. Mm. What year were you born? Uh, in the 40s. That's all you're going to tell me in 1940. the 40s? 1940. Yeah. Okay. We don't mind if you don't tell us exactly, but that's 1940, right. yeah. during the war. Yes, that's Were you born right. here in Australia? Yes, I was. I was born at home in Chelsea. In Chelsea at home? Yes. Yeah, that yeah. would have been... Chelsea, Victoria. Yep. That wouldn't yeah. have been unusual in those days to have home births, would it? No, it wasn't unusual. No. Yeah. No. So, uh, what's your first memory? What's the first thing you remember about being on this planet? Oh, the beachside, how nice it was, and not much traffic at all. And the only time there was traffic around that area was during Easter time and Christmas time, and then the cars come, and then the dredge would come of the waters and different things and the change of names. 
of different places. Did you live far from the beach? Right on the beach. Right on the beach in Chelsea? No roads, nothing? Nothing. Directly on the beach? Yes, yes. And um, tell us about your parents. Um, My mother is a Yorta Yorta lady. Right. Your Yorta, Kamarajunga. My father is Australian, Mm. uh, but of Irish heritage. Mm. Um, I'm one of seven siblings. Mm. What else? Uh, well, it'd be unusual, wouldn't it, for a Yorta, Yorta woman uh, to get uh, to marry a, uh, a white man in those days in the forties. Yes, you must have had very unusual parents. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Even though my mother was a Yorta Yorta lady, she was a very educated lady, mm. very educated. Picked on a lot and that at school right. in Davies Street, which there was twelve pupils in those days, mm. and um, her friend another Koori lady, and mum used to have to stand there and uh, make acknowledgement of the Australian flag. And yeah. mm. They wouldn't do it and they wouldn't wear shoes, so they are always in trouble, those two. Right, yeah. right. So where's Davies Street? Um, in, in, in Frankston, up the top part near the council building. Right, so yeah. her family lived in Frankston, Chelsea, for a while, didn't they? Yes, yes. So you've got a long, yeah. go back yes. a long way there. Yes, that's right, yeah. Right. And what was Dad like? What did he do? Uh, oh, man of all trades, really. Right. Uh, farmer, mostly a farmer. Mm. Um, and then he became a le- A-grade electrician because of the war and that. Right. Um, yeah, and then he went to war, of course. Right. So, yeah, he was his trade was an A-grade electrician. Mm. Do you remember? Did he ever speak about where he went to war? or? Um, well, he did occasionally, but not... not Mostly to his children, to other adult males and, right. and stuff like that, that yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like when TV come out, he used to look at TV and you could see he was living the pain of right. what had happened, so you didn't ask him too many, many questions. questions. Yeah. No. Mm. Right. You said you've got seven siblings. Yes. How many brothers, how many sisters? Uh, I've got one brother that's deceased mm-hmm. and um, two brothers and three sisters. They're yeah. still alive. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So how come your family found themselves on the beach in Chelsea? These are million-dollar properties these days. Yep. Uh, <laughs> in those days, I assume. Yeah, well, I suppose it's who you marry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, they, my grandmother did live for a while at um, where the Lifesaving Club is in Frankston right. when at the back of um, mm. the Cannonook, which was known as Freshwater Creek. It wasn't Cannonook until the men come in and started dredging. Mm. Then became dirty, slushy water, and that there were a lot of humpies around in those days at that part, mm. um, and humpies also up at Mordialek with the Dunbars and mm. things like that. Mm. Tell us about the humpies. Why were there humpies at that particular? Because point? that's where they lived. Right, and this is yes. this is this is in. And Melbourne. that's why there's still mittens there and yeah. stuff like that. Right, yeah. right. Mm. So you had a lot of the Aboriginal people still living in. Yes, yes. In a semi-traditional way. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Until they were told to move on, of course. Right, right. And this was during Mm. the war and immediately after the war. Yes, yes. Right. So where did you go to primary school? Uh, I didn't do much schooling at all. I I had a big problem at home. Um, My mother became a drinker. Right. Even though she was a very smart woman and a, and a good mother when she wasn't drinking, she just had her own ghost, and I don't know what they were. She never spoke about them. Um, 
So, yeah, we, we were going from institution to institution and then if we missed school, they had truant officers in those days and they would just pick you up and take you to a family, which was an institution, a home. Mm. So, yeah, I was in and out, in and out all the time. Right, and this, yeah. this happened to your brothers and sisters too, yes, the whole family? Yes, yeah, St Catherine's, Star of the Sea, Cottage by the Sea, mm. uh, the Good Shepherd in Aversford, from right. one place to another, Box Hill Salvation Army. Mm. Yeah. So, so you parcelled out all over the place. Yes, yes. Did, did yeah. you stay together, or just wherever there was room they put? No, you? they just separated the whole okay. lot of us. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, did you spend much time at home when you were a young girl? Uh, not a no, not a lot really. Mostly, mm. mostly in institutions. Mostly, or with an auntie when I took off and went to Sydney. Right. Stayed with an auntie. I stayed with another auntie mm. in Wilcania. Right. Um, on Aboriginal land and stuff like that, so yeah. Well, c- coming back to life in uh, in Chelsea with your parents, mm. obviously it was, as you said, very dislocated. What was life like in the institutions? Very hard. What do you mean hard? What what? what well, um, you had to get up very early, and you had to go to church before you had anything to eat. You had to have a shower, which was freezing cold because they had combustions. They had to light which the combustions were still freezing cold. Lots of young girls actually died from ammonia, which I didn't even know what the word was in those days. Mm. Um, we were all in dormitories. Uh, and then we'd have to go to church and kneel there for about half an hour or maybe a bit longer, say, in the rosary, freezing cold. And, this is every day? And, yes, every single day. And it didn't matter your age, you were sent to the laundry, you'd done either pressing or mangling or um, ironing or, or fold-ups and things like that. So just child slave This is slavery. in the 50s. We're talking about the, yes. uh, the 50s in yes. Melbourne. Yes. People, yes. people would say... Very know, hard. People would yeah. say, well, I didn't know. Oh, well, well obviously it, they did. Yes. We used to do all the laundry for the hospitals and mm-hmm. the butchers in those days, right. which was very hard for a child lifting a heavy iron up. So and how old things. were you then? I think I started about eight and a half. Eight and a half. You eight and a half. To yes. Earn your keep. Yeah. No I scoop, was in no Saint Catherine's in Geelong at that time. Me and my brothers were down mm. at the uh, the boys' part, mm. yeah, mm. which was down the hill. Yeah. Mm. What was it like for uh, young Aboriginal children? Were you treated differently or was yes, everybody... Yes, yes, we were, yeah. Um, yeah, we were treated very different. Um, we were just told we were scatterbrains and no use, you know, you going in to learn the piano or no use you going to, to learn certain things to be in a choir and that because you, you just uh, wouldn't understand anyway. Mm. So there was different things like that. Mm. Um, we got called snotty-nosed kids and... Had our hair cut off mm. because lice were going around in those days, and uh, but I noticed mostly the children that had hair cut were the Koori kids. Mm. Yeah, were there a lot of Koori kids in the institutions? Then? Yes, yes. And most of them had been what removed from their families. Yes, yes, had been forcibly removed. Yes. Oh, right. mm. So, how did you um, survive those years as a young girl? Um. Well, I was torn between religions, I can mm. tell you that. And like in my days, you were taught more about um, the damnation of no, everything, that's right. yes. you know, yeah. rather Helen. than the the um, rather than the love of Christ, you were talking about 
horrible things, you know, and the devil would get you. I can remember uh, a book Anne Geeds had of a, a, a baby on a, a water lily leaf. Yes. And the little cupy baby had mm. no clothes. And I got told I was an evil child. I was part of the devil's domain and all this and that because I was filling it in, colouring it in with lead pencil. Right. So... Yes, and I, I got a caning over that. I remember that caning, very bad. Did you get any education at all in, in these institutions? Yes, I did in between times. I did in between times, yeah. But not in But the... I couldn't understand what they were talking about. It was almost like foreign language by the time I started schooling. Right, yeah. right. So when did you start schooling? How old were you? I was probably about nine, nine. Ten, ten, ten and a half, I think, yeah. So there was no school in between five no, and ten and a half, no, just no. basically slave yeah. labour, as you said. Yes, yeah. Mm. And yeah. that was the norm and it was accepted by everybody. Yes, yes, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So where did you do your schooling? Uh, as I grew up, I was learning from other people and aunties, you know, and, mm. and things like that. Um, and different places, institutions that I had been into, I was put into the classroom and picked up on, on a lot of things. I remember I was more or less interested in what a lot of aunties had to say, more so than learning at school. Mm. So mm. I was worldly-wise in, in that way and uh, educated uh, about history-wise, you know, mm, what we mm. could and what we couldn't do and what our forebearers could do and stuff like that. So, so there were, there were, you talk about aunties. Yeah. Who were the aunties? Not, not in terms of name, what was their role in, in the Aboriginal community when you were a young girl? Oh, they took care of everybody, everybody. Right. You know, you were just one big family. Mm. I used to sleep in a double bed with four others. Right. And uh, you shared everything together. Everything was shared there was no such thing as paying money for board or or anything like that or buying tucker. You know, if you had money, it was a normal thing. You would share things around with each other. So mm-hmm. I learned that and I learned that we would stick together and love one another and everybody was there for you and you were there for the rest of them. Right, yeah. right. And um, so the, the aunties were other Aboriginal women? Basically. Yes, yes, right. yes. And did they identify as Aboriginal women? Yes. And so yeah. that was a strong b- belief in, yes. in the community at that stage. Always, you always. Never, never forgot your ne- heritage. Amongst each other, we never denied our culture. Mm. It was really important to us. Mm. Um, and even speaking the tongue, you know, a lot of people spoke the tongue. I couldn't even pronounce the words properly myself, but right. tried, yes, yeah. 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 So they did. They did speak language at that stage. Yes, yeah, right. and a lot you weren't allowed to, of course. No. But yeah, a lot of them did. If they were amongst themselves, yes, and you know they'd just talk of the past and things like that. So you learned your history by just talking and yarning. Yeah. Right, right. So you said you escaped to Sydney. How old yeah. were you then? Probably about thirteen, fourteen. So what happened? This this would have been what fifty three, fifty four. Yeah probably about that time. Um, I hitched a ride, actually, and got a nice man that knew that I was young, even though I told him I was older than what I was. Right. And that, and I went to uh, Leichhardt, Belmain Road, Leichhardt, where my auntie was, and just turned up and just stayed there, right. just accepted. And yeah. how long did you stay there for? I think about 14 months, 13 months. Only? That's, yeah, that's about 13 and a half, 14 months, yeah. What, what was the difference between life down in Melbourne and life in, in Leichhardt with your, with your auntie? 
Well, I was, I was accepted by everybody, number one. Mm. I wasn't treated any different, and I knew I was secure whilst I was living there. Mm. Um, and her children were teaching me how to write and how to read and things like that, so that was mm. very, very good, mm. yeah. Mm. And so, so you enjoyed yourself Yes, there. I did. And then she started taking me to leagues and things like that. Leagues? Where, league. What Koori do you mean? League. The, the Koori you know, around Redfern and... Right. Um, Mama Shirl and introduced me to people like that, yes. Right. so yeah. this was in the mid-50s. Yeah, because being, about... being really white and yes. all those black fellas down there, you know, yeah. and they just said, you know, she's just part of the family. Right, yeah. right. So there was no question regarding skin colour. No. Everybody knew you were part of the family yes. and you yeah. were accepted as part yes. of the family. Yes, yes. Tell us about the league in those days. You said you were introduced to the league. What, what was it like? Did you go to meetings or picnics or Oh, gatherings? yeah, the elders went to meetings. I, was, I didn't go to, to meetings. I just stayed outside and played, you know, right, different right. things like that. Yeah. But there was always someone checking you out to make sure that you weren't quickly taking a smoke or being naughty or something like that, mischievous, and you knew to hang around, you know, and things like that. Right. And then you kind of just went with the crew. You went inside, started putting the kettle on because people were going to have a feed and stuff mm. like that. Yeah. Mm. It was all communal. Did, did, yeah. Uh, the, Didn't matter who you belonged to, you were part there. You were, you were part of the family. Do you do you remember the type of uh, issues which were important then in the community and to the league? Um, I remember the fact of uh, Aboriginals being able to vote. Mm-hmm which was, I think, February sometime, 1967. Yep. Um, I remember doing a march from Aboriginal Health Centre in that main street. Uh, was it Brunswick Street? No, Fitzroy Street. Fitzroy Street, Going yeah. up to Parliament House, right. I was there. Mm. Uh, yeah, and that was, we were protesting about things and then we protested about um, the land belonging to certain people in Mildura, mm. um, about the right for Aboriginal people to be able to vote was the most important thing that I can remember. Uh, there were other issues of people being locked up for no reason at all, really, mm. um, because you were seen with another person and you didn't have a pound in your pocket so you're booked for vagrancy yeah. you're booked for associating with a known criminal and any little stupid thing and it was only because you were a Koori or you were in the company of Kouris mm. so you got labelled no mm. good Was the police presence in Melbourne heavier than Sydney or was it much heavier in Sydney? I'd say it was heavier in Sydney. In Sydney, yeah, right. Yeah. So you were basically under surveillance all the time yeah, as a community. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. So you said you spent there 14 months there as a 14-year-old. Where'd you yeah. go after that? Uh, probably came back because I missed my brothers and sisters. Right. Come back to them because I was always looking after them when I was at home. So they, 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 they were younger, were they? Yes. Right. I'm, yeah, you, unfortunately, I'm the eldest. You're the eldest, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes. So I would look after them, you know, and, mm. and different things like that. Yep. And so you came back and what, you had to uh, look after them, did you? Or, yes. Well, you not have to, but that... Well, I did it, in a yeah. lot of cases because, yeah. as I explained, my mother had a drinking ho- habit and mm. 
my father was a workaholic. Right, right. Well, so he so. was hardly ever at home. Yeah. And then my mum would go on a walkabout and forget when to come home. When the money run out and she yeah. didn't have clean clothes, she'd be back again. Right. In right. the meantime, I'd be looking after the kids and mm. um, had to go out half the time early hours in the morning, pinch milk so I could feed them, you right, know, things right. like that. So there wasn't any food in the house? No. And I couldn't go to any place because I I was too young and they would find out that my brothers and sisters were at home we'd be put into institutions again. Mm. Did did they go to school at that particular point in time or just kept to yourself? Off and on. Off and on. Off and on, yeah. Right. Mm. So when did things start to change? When did your caring role kind of diminish for your brothers and sisters, or did that go on for oh, a number of years? It never, 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 never stops. No, never, never stops. Stop. Yeah. Well, going back to that period, uh, how did um, did you get much help outside your own community? No, no. Nothing I can't ever. remember ever getting any help unless I could make it all over the way from Chelsea over here to to Fitzroy and. Right. I'd go to quite a few people and families that I'd got to know over the period of years and stuff that would mm. look after me. So, no, I'd always come over here and I'd have all the lovers helping me and mm. uh, Betty King and Nancy King and mm. Jock Austin, all those people always, they were very fond of me and looked after me, mm. yeah. Once the humpies were uh, removed down uh, Bayside there, did um, did many families remain? No, well, they had nowhere to go. go so they came, like, yeah, they so, just scattered around. Yeah. So you were one of the few families left yeah, you, in Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but we end up having a house. Right. Yeah. That's because your dad was working, wasn't yes, it? Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah mm. Right. But we went from place to place anyway. In the end. Right. Yeah. What do you mean in the end? What well, happened? like we'd stay so long in one house and. Then the rent would go up or they'd sell the house. Right. And then we'd be shifting to, say, Heidelberg West. Um, from there, we went to other places like Ivanhoe. Then we came back and we lived at um, uh, Shepparton where Dad done farming and stuff right. like that. Uh, yeah, we just moved around. Right. Mm. And um, when did your parents die? Um, my mum died two years ago. Two years ago? Yeah. So she had a great, yeah. long she had life. A, yeah. How long? How long? She would have 94 been, what, on her birthday she passed, passed away. away. Yeah. Extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, and I assume for a large degree it was because of your assistance <laughs> that she lived to 94. Yeah, 94. Considering, considering the lifestyle she was leading you. Yeah, telling. I mean, my dad didn't drink and, yeah. and he passed on before her, which was rather a, a surprise. Yeah. 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 And... Um, so how did you survive in those years? Apart, you know, you asked people for help, family for help. Yeah, and artists, I had. I'm a great believer in the Lord. I can tell right. you that now. When 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 did that? And happen? I believed, you know, oh well, right from you were telling a me you had, you had struggles because of in yeah. and out, out yeah. of institutions yeah. and convents and homes. Mm. You know, I was living the way of the Salvation Army for quite a while, and. Right. Then I was taken down the middle of Brighton Orphanage when I was a baby and mm. they have different denominations Nations, there. Yeah. So I've always had religion kind of in my life and things like that. And friends that I've, I've made with, like I went to a synagogue because I had a friend who was Jewish. Yes. 
and she used to take me to the city gong, so I learned a little bit about theirs, yes. and then I learned about the Greek Orthodox and mm-hmm. different things like that. When you say the Lord plays an important part in your life, how how Well, does... my strength. I, I know that when things really get bad and I get depressed, I can just talk to him and I, I just feel good. You know, I know that he's listening. And I've had a lot of pain in my life besides mm. uh, growing up. Yes. I've lost children. Yes. Uh, even this month on the 14th was my grandson's anniversary of his death, which I read that grandson from five weeks old. Right. He was 19 when he took his life. Right. I've also lost children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, my last one I lost was my daughter in Sydney. She was thrown over a balcony and murdered. So, mm-hmm. yes, I have been through a lot of grief. And mm-hmm. and as I said, it's only religion that's pulled me through. Right. Yeah. So how many children have you had? Well, I've had quite a few children, but I've had miscarriages and stuff like that. But I've had living, I've got five. Five still? Mm, No, no. 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 But five living children? I've got two left. Two left. Yep. Right. Well, it it is is very hard. Yeah. Very hard. And I had one one son I adopted before he was born. He Mm. he was a Fijian. He's gone back to Fiji. He's a policeman now. He lives over there. So, yeah. Right. So you've always looked after other people? Yeah, I, I had children from um, Vaca. Mm. Uh, it's called a different name now, which I don't know what it is. I had children from there that I helped out at different times and things like that. Yeah, mm. I have. Mm. Yeah. So how old were and you? And street kids. I helped yeah. a lot of street kids. Mm. How old were you when you had your first child? Uh, I think it was about 16 and a half. 16 yeah. and a half. Right, mm. right. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, how did you feel about that, having been a mother at 16? Well, it was something on my own. You are on your own. Really, mm. something, someone to love mm. and things like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was sad, really, in, in lots of ways, but because I really wasn't um, at that time fit enough to ha- have a child. I was only a child myself, really. yes. yes. And uh, yeah, it, and then I thought, oh, this is I'm going to love this child. It's not going to go through what I've been through and all this and that, you know. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that child ended up dying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. And <clears throat> um, you're living in Melbourne when this was all was happening, or was this up in? Sydney? I was in Sydney and I came back to Melbourne. You came back to yeah. Melbourne after after, yep. after your child died, yep. right? And and what was how hard was it picking up the threads of your life when you came back to Melbourne? Well, my father didn't want to know me right. when I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Thought I was disgusted mm. and and things like that, and not being married. So he didn't even want me at home. Mm. Uh, my mother was coming good at that time, being and said I should stay home and that. But uh, Dad got the better of the situation, so I had to leave home and. Um, I then went to another friend's place here in in, uh, Fitzroy, Mm. actually, and stayed there with them for quite a while, yeah. What was life like in Fitzroy during that period? This is in the 60s, wouldn't it, the early 60s? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I rather liked it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I rather liked it because you knew exactly where you stood and stuff like that. and you were accepted no matter what, even if you couldn't read and different mm. things like that. Um, 
Yeah, it was just one big family. Right. Yeah. So how old were you when you had your second child? Oh, I was years older. Years older. Yeah. So yeah. you felt better able to yeah. cope. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay. And that was in Melbourne? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And did you have somebody to help you at that stage or did you have to bring bring up the child no. by yourself? No, I was married. You were married I was then. married, right, yeah. Right, yeah. right, yeah. I was married. Right. Yeah. And you're here in Fitzroy, was it? You're living in Fitzroy then? I was living in Fitzroy, Fitzroy. Yeah. 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 All right. And what was your husband's name? Ben. Ben. Yeah. Right. Pennyha. Right. Yeah. In Maori, it's Pennyha. Pennyha. Meaning Ben, yes. Ben. Yeah. Pennyha. Mm. Ah, and how did you meet Ben? Ah, uh, through a protest from. Oh, my God. Through a protest? <laughs> yes. What's going on here? Going <laughs> from. We love at a protest. Never heard that before. From the Fitzroy <laughs> Aboriginal Health Centre, right. we there was a protest going on, and I was involved in it at yeah. that time, being. Yeah. And then later on, we all called into the hotel, and, and he was there, and yeah. It started from there. Yeah. Who yeah. said nothing good what, comes out of a protest? He couldn't believe that this white face would be in front. Right. You know, protesting, and he asked me, you know, just different things while I was involved with with the the Indigenous people of Australia. I said, because I am. Right, right. Yeah. I can't believe that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So was it love at first sight? Yes, it was. Yeah. 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 You don't remember the pub's name? Yes, the Champion Hotel. The Champion. Ah, everybody knows the Champion. <laughs> champion Hotel. Everybody knows the Champion. Yeah. Look, it's 4.30. This is a Radical Australia. Dr Gonzo is pushing the buttons occasionally. And we are speaking to Maurice Hanari. Yeah. Um, Bill Nadji from last week has wandered in and he's sitting here. I don't know why you're here, Bill. Why are you here? Through moral support. Yeah. Moral support. What do you think I am, an animal? <laughs> I mean, this is a respected elder. You know? Give me a break. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story that happened to me yesterday. Yeah. This is what this is the great thing about being old, as you know. Yeah. I was in a post office. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, some, sometimes it's yeah. a good thing because I'm nearly 65. I was in a post office and this there's this little two-year-old girl and she was in a pram. She got out and she looked at me and she said, Ho, ho, ho. Hello, Santa. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Did you? Yeah. 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 Well, I look like yeah. Santa. But I just thought it was extraordinary, you know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It kind of makes your day, doesn't it? Oh, it, it? does. As it you get does. older, there, yeah. are, there are positives. Yeah. There are positives. Yeah, this is right. So yeah. how many grandkids have you had? Uh, I've got 14. 14 living yeah. grandkids. Uh, 13 living. 13. Yes. Thirteen yeah. grandkids. One one committed suicide. Right, you told mm. us that before. Mm. Yes, and uh, are they all living around Melbourne, or are they all scattered to the four winds? Oh, they're all around, um, except one. One lives in. Um, oh, God, I can't think of it. Oh, it doesn't. Outside Australia, or? Seymour. 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 Yeah, oh, that's yeah. just down the but road. But most of them live down on the peninsula. Still on the peninsula. Yes. All yes, of them. Yes. Right. Right. So That's their stomping ground. ground. Yeah. So that's yeah. uh, you're a you're a big family in that area, yeah. big yeah. Aboriginal family. Yeah. So is your husband still alive? No, not now. When did he die? About three years ago. And, and yeah. what type of work was he doing? Glass blower. Glass blower. That's mm. very. That's a very skilled occupation. Yeah. Yeah. Very skilled yeah. occupation. Yeah, and, and then later on, he he uh, started. Um, can't think of the lady's name. God rung, I think it was. Uh, they started on going to the prison, teaching the Maoris 
the culture back again and the language and wow. things like that and teaching them their self-worth and self-respect. I've uh, got people that were on CBOs, which is a community-based order, going to Māori Fales, which is a house, you know, meet mm. places, a marae, mm. and getting them to do their carving back and things like that. And the family, doing like family, you'll see on some Māoris, you'll see tattoos, which represents their family, mm. what tribe, whether, it, like my husband's tribe was a Napui tribe. Mm. So it represents those things, yeah. So mm. he was part of that, which was really, really good. Did he? Uh, did he ever go back to his country? Or yes, we we went backwards and forwards. Yeah. Backwards and forwards. Yep. Tell us about these trips. What were they like? Very, very good. Very good. Yeah, because like the same as the Kuri, they respect Mother Earth. Mm. Um, it's a communion way of accepting things and 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 living. Uh, it's the sharing of everything and things like that. So. Yes, it was very, very good. No one was looked down on whether you, mm. you you couldn't talk or whether you had a disability or, or anything like mm. that. You were never looked down on. You were more accepted and you learned to respect your elders and, and things like that. Just like here, everybody's auntie or uncle and... And you know, you you, you it doesn't matter how old you are, you earn that auntie title mm. in most cases. Like in most cases with me, because of the work that I've done in the community with homeless people and the work that I've done with ACCA, mm. things like that. Um, yeah. So, so, when did this work start with the community? Oh, in between time, I started doing. I mean, you've things. had five kids. Yeah, you've been looking after your and siblings. And I had, I had, they, my kids brought home kids, and I yeah. mind them. Kids that ran away from home mm. because they were having troubles and stuff like that. Mm. The door was always open, mm. you know, and things like that. Up until just a couple of years ago, right. just got a bit too much. So, why get involved? A lot of people have just shut their doors because I've been living on the street myself when I was younger, and I know how hard it is. Mm. And you don't want to live on the street, but sometimes it's safer to sleep out than what it is to be at home. Mm, mm. And, you know, especially if you've got a, a person in your family that's got a problem, whether it be a drug problem or an alcoholic problem, you know, you, you seem to suffer mentally the the abuse and you take it with it's a piece of baggage that comes with you all the time. And if you're a street person or an institution person, you become that institutionalised, they're the only people that you can associate with because you understand each other. Mm. Um, I, I found, speaking for myself, that was the case, you know, and um, we look after one another. And, like, if you're on the street, you'd try and get with the female to sleep because you knew if the men invited you home, it was for only one thing. But yes. sometimes you would have to give in to that because it was the only way you were going to have a shower and a feed and mm. and, and things like that. So, And a lot of girls, they end up working on the streets. I was lucky I didn't. Mm. I was very determined, you know, that I was going to live my life the way I, I wanted to live it. So I just went as they call it now, couch hopping yep. from one place to another. And I was very lucky because I knew a lot of curry people and I never got abused or used by any of them, mm. whereas in other cases it could be. Yeah. could be. Mm. Now you said you're involved in these organisations. What yeah. type of organisations were they and what did they do and what was your role in them? Well, I, 
I was in deficit custody with Reg Blow, Uncle mm-hmm. Reg. Yep. I, I joined that because I believed in it because I, I've seen so many things happen. Um, what else? Uh, apart from having foster kids, I heard the pain that was going with them and I didn't want them in white institutions and things like that because then they weren't learning respect, they weren't learning culture and mm. different things. I was a stickler for culture and, and things. Um, what else? Why do you think culture is so important? Because it's a belonging. Mm-hmm. It's a belonging. Um, and you don't know who you are until you start getting back to your culture and, and things like that. Um, do you think it's still important to your grandchildren? Definitely. Is yes. that because of the work you've done with them? Yes. Yeah, yes. I think everybody has a right to know uh, where they are from, and I think they all, whatever culture, and ours is the oldest culture, uh, we have a right to know that. And then once you start knowing that, you start belonging. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think there is so much despair in certain, not all, but some sections of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community? Probably because they haven't grown up with that, uh, how could you put it, uh, with that knowledge, and it hasn't been passed on to you by the elders, mm. and a lot of things have been taken, and most most children in my days would live fear. Mm. They would live fear because you weren't you weren't totally accepted by by being white, but being black. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't look at the colour of your skin, but you're neither accepted by it. And a person like, I can't put it into words. No, you're doing very well. Yeah. Um, we could do something like I'd done a painting once and this one woman wanted to see who the artist was. The curator come up to me yeah. and said, this lady wants, wants to know you. And when I went up, she just looked at me strange. And she said, "This, you know, you can get to a lot of trouble doing Aboriginal work. I said, I'm quite aware of that, you know. And I said, if you had read the paper, mm. you would have seen where I'm from and, and things like that, my resolution number and, and all this, my identity. She said, my dear, looking at you, you're so white. She said, you really don't have to tell anyone you're Aboriginal. Mm. And I, I was absolutely shocked. I said, well, why should I hide my identity? Why should I be ashamed of my grandmother's side, mm. you know? Yeah. Mm. So I thought for an educated woman, mm, you're pretty much of an a-hole. That's right. <laughs> you know? I wouldn't call an asshole. are useful. <laughs> <laughs> I'd call her something else. Yeah. Now, you said you've done a lot of work in homelessness. Tell yeah. us about that work that you're doing and you've done. Um. Well, later on in life, I got myself educated. I went to technical school. Right. And then myself and another lady who is now passed on. I don't know if I should mention her name because of her being passed on and family. They mightn't accept it. Mm -hmm. But I will say her first name was Barbara, an Aboriginal lady and I. We were the first, very first probation officers in Melbourne which was in Dandenong Office of Corrections. And what year was this? I can't was remember. Was it in the 70s or 80s? Probably in the 70s. In the 70s, Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so yes, it was really, really good and that way we were able to help a lot of kids that were in trouble, getting in trouble, stupid little things, you know, mm, mm. or pinching dad's car or pinching someone else's car. Just They didn't even think they just wanted to go for a joy ride and yeah. things like that. Um, and there wasn't much acceptance of, of dark kids into anything unless it was football. Right. And I suppose that's why Jock Austin got the gym going that he did. Yes. You know, a lot of mm. kids went there and, and kept out of trouble, which was really good. Should be everywhere else as far as I'm concerned. And then police boys clubs, they started closing down. And the only police boys club that I can remember that would take Aboriginal kids was in Collingwood Town Hall. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Mm. So you were doing work with the homeless. Yeah, that's right. Um, I would go out and in St Kilda with um, Brother Alex and Father Broswin and we would feed um, homeless people and give them blankets and clothes and stuff like that. Got to know a lot of the working people there, girls and boys, mm. and boys, yep. might I add. Uh, and then half the time, if they were really, really young, I'd take them home. Right. You know, and try What are you and talking about? Really, really young, like 12, 13, younger? Nine. Nine. Nine and a half. This is yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. And I would take them home. Kids, there were a few kids. Home institutions started gradually closing down at that time, being too. And a lot of the kids that were very, very young, I would take them home because I knew that they would be put into Tirana, which was going at that time, being... Some of them, because they're a little bit autistic or something like that in those days, they were put in Royal Park Receiving Depot or yeah. Mont Park, yeah. which I don't know if anybody knows, are mental Mont institutions. Yes. And, 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 and Yes, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if you took epileptic fits, you were put out in those places. So mm. uh, it was a pretty hard life in that way. Mm. So I used to take some of the kids home, whether they'd be white or black, I didn't care. And what did the, what did your kids think about this having to share? They loved it. They, they loved it. it. Somebody they knew loved all the time. it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I got someone to talk to all night and play games with and right. play Superman and stuff like that. Yeah. And what did Ben think about all this? Well, <laughs> he he's a he's a Maori, so you know it's nothing unusual for them culture wise. You know, everybody yeah. in for a penny, in for a pound, yeah. as the saying goes. You know, right. just another mouth to feed. Right. And do you have much contact with many of the kids you've taken in over the years? Most of them are dead. Are they? Yeah, most of them are dead. Mm. And th- those that are still alive, I do see most of the time. And unfortunately, nearly all of them are on the dole and still popping pills and things mm. like that. Mm. Um, most of the girls that I've helped have ended up in um, Nutter Wadding. There's a place out there. I can't think of the name of it. Winlayton? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, most of those girls that I knew have passed on. They're dead. Mm. Through mm. drugs and different things like that. Mm. Uh, shame. Mm. How difficult is it dealing with somebody from, with an addiction? Very, very hard, really, mentally very hard because they they can't see anybody else worse off than what they are. And, like, a lot of times they're crying out for help. They're into self-mutilation and, and things like that. And, you know, like most of the children these days, they don't want to be on the street, but they come from a drug-afflicted 
family mm-hmm. or a parent who's on drugs and it's a child that's looking after the mother or the father. Mm. And then, of course, in comes another boyfriend, a one-night stand, your miles will say, yeah. and the kid starts getting abused. In the end, he's had enough of this and he thinks, well, stuff this, I'm leaving, you mm. know, because he's been bashed, he's been abused, he, mm. he's had no education, so he can't fit into society once again, mm. you know, and there's a lot of hurting people. They don't want to live on the street, but they do. You know, and they don't know when they're going to have a shower. They don't know when they're going to have a feed. I used to say to them, carry a plastic fork with you. Go into a shopping centre. As soon as someone leaves their dinner, get into their spoils. Mm. You know, Mm. that way you survive. Do you think things are actually getting worse or better? Worse, because the government's closing everything down. It's all money, 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 money. They're not worried about people. I mean, at... um, on the peninsula, there's a Navy base that's been empty for 20-odd years that I know of. Yes. I went to Adrian McCall when she was in Parliament or in uh, Member of Parliament and spoke to her about it and I said, why can't we, instead of breaking up families, why can we not put these families that are drug addicts out there, start educating them, keep the families together so they're working together. Mm. Kids are not being pulled away from their families. And they, She said she would bring it up at Parliament. Mm. Um, nothing's ever happened. It's still there. It's still empty. It's still empty. Yeah. That's right. I mean, they've got everything there, all the facilities. People shouldn't have to be living on the street. They should be in something like that. Uh, in, in Sydney, the council, you go to the council and you say, right, I'm homeless. Can you give me an address of where I can sleep? P- buildings that are going to be pulled down, mm-hmm. they have it written down mm-hmm. and they give them that address. They can stay there. Right. Until, you know, it's time for someone to build on that land. Why can't they do that here? Mm. Well, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. And, people, and they people, don't care. Well, they, they don't, don't care. Well, you're right. They don't. People think homelessness doesn't exist, mm. even when they walk over somebody. Well, you don't homeless. have to go overseas. It's right here. Get out one thirty, two o'clock in the morning and mm. just go into the city and look in the doorways and you'll see it. Mm. Go down to the bridge in Frankston. There's people sleeping underneath the bridge. There's families because there's a domestic issue going on because of drugs and the husband's using all the money. They're sleeping in cars. What does the council do? Move them on, put a sticker there, pay a fine. Mm. They can't even pay rent. How can they pay a fine? Mm. So what organisations are you involved in at the minute? I work for the Brotherhood of St Lawrence. I've been there for quite a while. I work with people with dementia. I also work with Demjana. That's a a new Aboriginal um, co-op in Jubilee Park, Frankston, Mm -hmm. which is quite good. Uh, so I'm involved in that as well as, like, if, if anyone gets into trouble, the police will ring me up and tell me, or cat team from the Frankston Hospital say we've got an Aboriginal kid here, mm. you know, and we don't, he's not telling us what he's taking, he's not telling us where he lives or that, would you like to come in? So, yeah, I'll get up and go in there when I can. But you're... You must be over 75. How old? I am, How 75 old? and 70, a bit. And a bit? Yeah. You're 75 and a bit and yeah. you're still involved. You're yes. not watching TV or playing bingo. No. I, oh, I do watch TV <laughs> and I knit for the homeless. Right, you knit for the so, homeless. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I make beanies and mittens and things yeah, but, like that. What, what drives you at 75? Because I've been there and done it. 
I've walked, I've walked in their shoes and I know how hard it is to exist and I know how hard it is when you think I've had enough, I want to commit suicide. Don't think it's a gutless way out or anything like that. It's hard when you think I've had enough. Yeah, it is really hard and then you survive and you think, you know, life is good. There are good people. But everybody tells us there are all these agencies that are there to help the homeless and the poor and the dispossessed. Mm. What's wrong? I mean, there's billions of dollars going to these welfare agencies, billions of dollars. And it's going in their pockets. It's going in their pockets. It's not really... It's not really helping a lot of people. Okay, they get a bit of food and they might give them some bread and some milk or something like that at, at different times, but there's nothing fresh. There's no vegetables, there's no fruit, there's no yoga or anything like that. And then I've seen different churches where they've said, you know, we'll help you out with a bit of food. You get there and you get a box of uh, cheesels and all the wrong things and lollies and all this and that. And you don't get toothpaste, you don't get washing soap, even though you can't eat it, you need it to right. stop scabies because when you live on the street, it's rampant. Mm. So, yeah, and once you get there, it's, what, $25, $30 for the box. Yeah, yeah. So if that's charity. Well, it isn't. Well, but, but, but there are billions of dollars going to these so-called yeah. welfare agencies since welfare is being privatised yeah. and put in there. It's not getting out there. No, it's in your not. Experience. That's right, it's not, no. I mean, I've seen people go into the Salvation Army and said, I'm hungry, mm. and then what do they do? They give them a few packets of two-minute noodles. Mm. They've got nowhere to cook it. They're not living anywhere. Where are they going to cook two-minute mm. noodles? Mm. So they eat them raw, mm. you know, and then they get sick and then they get worms because they're eating the wrong things. Mm. You know, they're not taking them giving them mashed potatoes and greens and stuff like that. Mm. Well, I've got a, a patient who rang me from uh, Seattle. She moved there with her husband a f- about eight months ago, mm. and she's a, Christ- a Christian fundamentalist. And she said what they've done there is they've given over their church to the homeless, and what happened? it can be done in Frankston, it can be done anywhere. Yeah, yeah. What actually happens is that people come in, they cook them a meal, yep. they eat with them. Good. Uh, provide a, a mattress. Yeah. They can fit 35 to 40 people, homeless people in the church. Yeah. And then in the morning, cook them breakfast, eat with them, and send them off with a lunch yeah. package. And every month, they have a, a new group of people. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand why our churches can't do that. Yeah. Well, we did have a church in High Street, Frankston, mm. that was giving out breakfast and, and allowing people to have a shower. Mm. But apparently one day a young guy was off his face with ice. Right, right. And he jumped the counter, frightened the hell out of the ladies and then jumped through the glass window. So they took a few days off and then they decided, you know, that they couldn't handle it. It was too violent and all this and that. So they closed it down so those people had nowhere to go. Um, And then right next to it is the uh, football ground. Now... A lot of men were sleeping there. They mm. weren't making any trouble. They weren't drinking and mm. and things like that and always cleaned up after their cell. What happened, the police found out they were sleeping there, so they went down and started locking them up right. and harassing them. And that's we're talking about now. We're not talking about yes. 50 years ago. No, we're talking about we're 2016. Talking about, yes, that's right. We're talking yeah. about now. Yeah. I don't think people realise. 
what's yeah. been done in their names. They just don't no. know. And idea. even Frankston at the train station, mm. you see where the taxi rank is. A lot of the younger kids will sleep on those. Um, the seats there. Behind, the seats there. That's exactly behind right. Behind the bus shelter. Yeah. yeah. And then if you go down where the bridge is, the Stony Point train goes. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of teenagers sleep mm. down there. They gather down there. And the only thing is, because they're cold, that they want to get rid of, you know, their bad day and all this and that, and they want to keep warm and not feel anything. So they start chroming, mm, mm. you know. And, huh, you know, we, we've got these wicker baskets that come from the Philippines. They're only about uh, 25 cents or something like that to make. Mm. And they're behind with a, a rope through it. Mm and a padlock on it, and you've well, got cans of sprays on the bottom shelf you could just pick up and pinch because these kids are not working. They've got no, no accommodation, so they steal it. Yeah. Then the next minute, you know, even kids go into Safeway and they steal chocolate bars, but they're eating them or some kind of food, mm. and they get harassed for that instead of helped. Mm. So, so, you know. So are there no organisations? There's, there's nothing. Are you trying to tell me? You've been... At the coalface, you know, for decades. Mm. Are you trying to tell me that things aren't much different? No. What I can see and what I've heard from people, mm. kids as well as adults, no. no. Nothing is really changed. Well, I was we a- seem to be going backwards. We're doing more for outsiders mm. than what we're doing looking after people in their own backyard. Because mm. I was at Frankston Station yesterday uh, doing a bit of campaigning and... Uh, a bloke in a buggy came up to me and we had a good chat and he said there's two of them mm. living in a house on the Nepean Highway there and it's going to be knocked down in July and they can't get any alternative accommodation anywhere no. in Frankston because there's no public housing anymore. That's right. There's no public listing. People think they can just move the problem across to the next suburb. And yet there's quite a lot of vacant units and houses in uh, Frankston North. Mm. Quite a lot. Some of the places have been vacant. What one place in Excelsior Drive's probably been vacant for for about six years that I know of. Are these are ministry houses. Uh, yeah, ministry yep. houses. Yeah, yeah. Well, Why haven't they got a family in there? Why can't someone move in there? Well, what they say is we haven't got a budget to open the house. It's just yeah. that we're going to sell it, and this is what's happening all over the place. I mean, mm. I mean these are. These are not insoluble problems. Mm. I mean, they talk about people talk about New York and homelessness. Yeah. In New York, if you're homeless, the first thing they do is try to find you accommodation because they yeah. know if you've got accommodation, then you can work on the other problems. Yes, you can't work right. on the other problems if you've got no accommodation. That's right. You can't keep appointments for, to get a job. Mm. And the young kids, you've got to be a certain age before you get money, but then you've got to have an abode. Yes. You know, yes. otherwise you still can't get your money. So how how on earth are they going to survive? Mm. Have you got any parting words for our listeners? You know, you've, you've lived a long life, a productive life. You've done many things in mm. your life. Mm. Have you got any parting words, any advice? Uh, not to judge people by what they see. Don't believe what you read in papers because they want to make money. So it's the big people getting rich all the time. Just go by your heart, have a look outside one o'clock in the morning, make it your business to see, and you'll find that there's people out there that are totally lost. And if you can, help them. Mm. You and know, that- don't give people money. I'll take take you for a meal. That's what I say when they ask me for money. I'll take you for a meal anywhere you want to go. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, so yeah. yeah, they could do the same thing. 
Right. Mm. So you think on an individual basis we can help? Yeah. You mm. just gotta you gotta care about other people and let them know. I got on a bus one day and I said to a woman, "Gee, it's a nice day," and she said, "What's bloody nice about it?" I said, "Well, you're still living." <laughs> that is nice. I said, and "There's a lot of people out there that are worse off than you." So, yes, it's yeah. a nice day. Right. Yeah. Right. And what do you hope to do for the next fifteen to twenty years? If your mother would live to ninety-four, yeah. obviously you've got good genes and you'll be around for a while. You yeah. got any plans for the future? I'd like to become Prime Minister and Prime fix Minister. up all these judges that are making stupid decisions about things and magistrates. All right. You yeah. certainly do better than the bloke that's in charge now, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. I'll put you on the payroll when I get elected. Look, it's been a pleasure to have you here, Maurice and Thank Ari. you very much. It's been a pleasure to be able to speak to you, yeah. and uh, I'm sure many of our listeners have uh, got an understanding about the homeless situation, more importantly, an understanding how... The individual can make a difference, yes. you know. Yeah. You can yeah. make, if the government doesn't want to make a difference and if welfare groups yeah. don't want to make a difference, I think it's just about... It starts with you, one yeah. small step. Yep, yep, yeah. and you, you've proven that and yeah. you've had a great life and I hope mm. you have another 20 years on the planet Thank you least. very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. And Bill, we don't want to talk to you. Just get out of the studio, <laughs> will you? And Dr Gonzo, thank you very much for uh, doing all the panel operating. It was great and to hear such an inspirational story. Yeah. It was. Would you be able to cut a disc... Certainly. Excellent. Thank you. You know, I have a lot of people, even people that just get out of prison that heard about me because some of them yelled out one time, hey, street mum, how are you? And this guy, about 42, I think he was, turned around and said, are you street mum? I said, that's what I'm known as. Yeah, he said, I heard about you in prison. Excellent. (laughs) Well, you look after yourself, street mum. Thank you. And we'll look after you. All the best. Thank you. That the days are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants Box of chocolates and the long stem rose.